Take your Bible and go to Psalm chapter 13 with us this evening. Psalm chapter 13. Miss Brenda, it's so good to see you. I know you tried to hide behind Brother Dave, but I found you back there. And a very, a very happy birthday to you. Today, right, is your birthday. And so happy birthday to Miss Brenda Allred. We're so thankful for you and Pastor Fred. And uh, thank God for you every day and, and how God has used you. Um, and... You know, this, this weekend that we had for youth was began many, many years ago um, through Pastor Fred, and Miss Brenda, Brother Andy Lowe, and God has used that in our, in our community for, for many, many years. All of us have been in a place and time in our life where maybe we've said it, maybe we've thought it, but where, where is God? Where is God when I really need him? Where is, is God? He seems so far away. And, you know, sometimes we feel guilty for those thoughts, and yet God knows our humanness and God knows our heart, and we see that even David, a man after God's own heart, there were times in his life where he he felt that way. And aren't you glad that we can pour out our heart to God? A lot of times I think we feel guilty, and yet God already knows our heart. God already knows what we're feeling. And he wants us to express that, not in a not in a condemning and judging way, but in an intimate way with our Father. So he says in verse number 1, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Let's read verse 5 and 6 together. Ready? But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, you do know our hearts. And Lord, even as we come to you tonight, there are those sitting in this room who are, who are going through deep valleys and darkness. And Lord, there are times even now where you feel distant. And so God, I pray that tonight you would speak to us through your word. And Lord, as we have to do time and time again in our life, that we would separate our, our thoughts from our feelings And Lord, we would remind ourselves, speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, and when we do that, we are reminding ourselves of your character and who you are and your plan and your purpose for our life and that you have us in your hand. And we pray tonight, God, that you would remind us, that you would encourage our hearts through the Spirit of God that lives in us. Thank you for the music today, how it has blessed us how it has spoken to us, how it has prepared us. The reminders tonight of your greatness and uh, also, Lord, that it is well with our soul and all that you have done for us on the cross, providing a way of salvation for us. Our hearts are overflowing with joy in the thoughts of that. And Lord, now as we come to your word, would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? In Christ's name we pray, amen. James and Jill Statterford were serving in Asia as missionaries when James became very ill and 
One night fell off of the bed into the floor. All the, the signs and symptoms were pointing to viral meningitis in his, in his body. And they were in a remote area of a, a village. And so they had to take him by boat into uh, a town. And then on the other side of the village was an ambulance that was waiting for him where he spent several weeks in a hospital and declining, declining. And as they tell their story, Jan, or Jill uh, often would pray, God, please don't let him die. And what are you doing? Here we are giving our lives to, to serve you. Thankfully, James did come through a full recovery. But they wrote about this encounter. They wrote about this story in a book entitled, uh, When the Roof Caves In. And a little section of that book that they entitled, Where is God When It Hurts? And like I said, all of us have been there where we have thought, where, where is God when it hurts? And their answer, of course, looking back as they write in the, in the book, is that God never left them nor forsook them. That Jesus Christ is with us each and every day through every valley, through every heartache. And David begins Psalm 13 in a, a very similar lamenting way as other Psalms before it. And we're not sure what he's going through. And I'm glad that we're not sure what he's going through. It's kind of like the Apostle Paul. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. And really, that's good for us because if we knew specifics of what David was going through or that thorn in the flesh, we might say, well, that was specific for that. But God is teaching us a principle through the writings. We don't know exactly what is happening which makes it more beneficial for us. If we were to say that it was because he was being chased, which many have said, and certainly that could have been the case, then we would say, well, I'm not being chased. Something else is going through, going on in my life. So he doesn't identify what the underlying issue is. We're just introduced to the fact that he was trying to come to terms, trying to come to grips with what it means to trust God in tough times. And so because it's not specified, we can apply it to whatever situation we are in tonight. You may be going through a financial crisis and you are wondering, how long, oh Lord, am I going to go through this? Or a a physical situation or an emotional situation or, or a situation with a wayward child. And you're thinking, how long, oh Lord, Will this go on? Or a marriage that seems like it is, it is heading for a crash. How long, O oh Lord? Or some other kind of problem that you are facing in your life. We've all had prayers that have been answered miraculously and quickly, haven't we? And we look back at those times and we think there's no way that anybody convince us, could convince us that that was just a coincidence or that just happened, that we can see all through that situation the hand of God at work. And yet we also can identify with times like the psalmist where we have prayed and we have prayed and we have sought the Lord and we seem to be staying in this valley It's not that he is ignoring us, but sometimes it it seems that way. And this is a a pattern that runs through a lot of the Psalms. And so I want you to see something tonight that I hope will be a help and beneficial to you. You know, the truth is that a lot of times we want God to change a situation. And instead, God says, I'm not going to change your situation, but I'm going to change you through the situation. 
That's exactly, basically what he told the Apostle Paul when he said, I'm not going to remove the thorn in the flesh. And by the way, Paul asked three times, right? Would you please remove this? Would you please remove this? Would you please remove this? And finally, God says, no, I'm not going to remove this, but I am going to work in your life through this. A lot of times we want God to work on the problem, and God says, I'm not going to work on the problem. I'm going to work on the person through the problem, and that person is you and I. And so we see here just three basic thoughts divided by two verses, verse 1 and 2, verse 3 and 4. Verse 5 and 6. First of all, I want you to see the problematic condition in verses 1 and 2. Again, you notice the reoccurring question, how long, how long, how long? Our struggles often come when God delays. When God is delaying, the question and the repetition of, of it tells us that this condition is something that David has been dealing with for some time. And if you know the story of David, it's like our story it's kind of a roller coaster of great times and trials and celebrations and victories and then more deep trials. You know, he was a shepherd boy and God took him and allowed him to, to beat Goliath in that, that war. And man, from then on, um, he became a, a hero in Israel. And the king, Solomon, in fact, the, the women celebrated his victory over Goliath by saying Solomon has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And you know the result of that, that Solomon became very jealous of him. And even though Solomon's son Jonathan was David's best friend, and even though David had a crush on Solomon's daughter, Solomon, Saul, sorry, Saul, not Solomon. Thank you. Several of you were correcting me, and I appreciate that. Saul's son and Saul's daughter. And he, he became very jealous of David and he began to chase after him. And here David is now literally ha- having to hide in caves. And it's just up and down, up and down. And we can understand that. But the truth is that when the, the pressures of, of life seem to hide the sun and it seems like every day is clouds and rain... I think that it is it's so true to say that, that life seems to move into to slow motion and we feel like the clouds are always there. But yet if we were to go above the clouds, we would see that the sun never stops shining, right? It's still there. And, and a lot of times when we're going through these valleys and these difficulties, it is, it is like life is going in slow motion. You know the, the saying, time flies when you're having fun. Well, the opposite is true too as well, right? It seems to slow down. It seems to drag on when things are difficult. We see here in these first two verses that the psalmist feels forgotten and forsaken. How long will thou forget me, O Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? David feels left out. He feels misplaced. He feels forgotten about. And again, if we're honest, we have all been there. We've all felt that. The psalmist said in Psalm 10, 1, why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? 
And some of us may not have to look back very far to remember a time in our life where that was the case. Some of us are going through it right now. Or, or maybe you say life is great. It seems like every day is sunshine and we are just enjoying the, the pleasures of the Lord every day. Well, just wait because the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And it is going to come. And there are going to be times where we feel forgotten and forsaken. And you're going to be in that hospital room and you're going to think, where is God? You're going to be in that home by yourself and you're going to think, where is God? Or you're going to be in that funeral home planning a funeral and you're going to think, where is God? Why has he forsaken me? And you know, being isolated from human relationships, that's hard, right? When you have someone you love dearly and Maybe distance has separated you from them. Maybe they've moved far away or maybe something has come up in that relationship and there's something between you and you don't have that fellowship that you once had and there's pain in that. But what David is talking about is something far greater than that because it's not a relationship. It's not a distance from another human being. It's not a distance from a spouse. It's a distance from his God. A more intimate relationship than any human relationship. But as we will see, what David feels to be the case is not the case. But still, he feels like it is the case. And this is nothing new. Look, the followers of God have always had seasons in their life where they have gone through this, where they have felt this in their journey with God, where they felt... The, the disconnect from God. We see this in the life of the children of Israel through seasons of their life where they said, if God was still with us, how would we be in this predicament here in the wilderness if it seems like God has forsaken us? If he truly was watching over us, then surely we would not have been carried away into uh, Babylonian exile and we, we wouldn't have had to endure this. This is recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14, where they say, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. But I want you to notice God's response to that in the next two verses. And may this be an encouragement to us tonight that God has not forgotten you. Because he says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? I mean, moms, you understand this deep love. He's, he's trying to make humanize it as much as possible for us to understand this. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. I love this statement. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. The walls are continually before me. Every time God, so to speak, looks at his hands, he sees us who he created. And, and we are reminded of God, or God is reminded of us each and every time he looks at his hand. Have you ever seen a, a grandparent who had a bracelet and it had either the names or the pictures of all of her grandchildren. Maybe you did that until you started having 10 or 15 grandchildren. And that was, was too much. But I think of that. It's not that they're going to forget their grandchildren. They know who they are. But it's just a reminder as they look down. And it says that every time he looks at his hand. He's, I've engraven thee upon the palms of my hand. Listen. 
And please know this, that God's care for his children is like the sun. It is constant. Even though the clouds may cover the sun, it doesn't mean that the sun isn't there. Alistair Begg says it's always there. Just go above the clouds. David feels forsaken and forgotten. Also, he says in verse number two, he is sorrowful and subdued. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart? How often? Daily. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Hey, what is he doing? He's doing the same thing you and I do. He's trying to put all the puzzle pieces together. He's trying to say, how does this fit into the puzzle? But he doesn't have all the pieces to the puzzle. And the longer that he thinks about it, and we can understand this. Listen, the longer we think about it, the longer we dwell on it, it it's, not, it's not bad for us to ask these questions with a, a heart of wanting to know God. But when we dwell on this and we don't answer the question in our heart and our mind, it can be dangerous. It leads us into a place of self-pity. Look at what happened to me. Nobody remembers me. I love how... Spurgeon describes this. He describes verse number two by saying, ruminating upon trouble is bitter work. There are certain things that it's better to swallow than to chew. I love that statement. And what David is doing is chewing when he should be swallowing. And when you add to that the sound of his enemies seeking to triumph over him, it's like pouring vinegar on an open womb. The laughter of his enemies sounds louder in his ears than his awareness of the providence and the kindness of God. And again, before we judge David too harshly, let's be honest. We've all, we've all found ourselves asking the same questions. Here's just some very practical things about when you find yourself in, in this place. Don't let it be a season where... You make important decisions, major decisions in your life. Don't get into these valleys and say, hey, we're just going to pack up and move. The circumstances, I've changed my circumstances, then the problems will just go away. Don't make major problems. Don't send important communication. Boy, this is something I've learned. Don't send important communication in emails when, when you, or text messages when you find yourself in these deep valleys. And then don't judge your own spiritual life when you find yourself in these places. Because your, your vision, your spiritual vision is, is blurred. And certainly don't judge other people's spiritual life when you find yourself in these situations. It's very easy for us when we are here to get things wrong. And we understand this, some people fight this worse than others, don't they? Some people's personality leans to this. And we've all been around people who every time you talk to them or every time you see them, you're like, oh no, what's wrong today? Some people, that's just their personality. Some people, the circumstances of their life drive them into this. But the truth is, is that it's a spiritual battle as well for us as Christians, Because we are the children of God, we find ourselves being attacked in this way more so than non-Christians. And so we understand this. It's a spiritual warfare. We're not just dealing 
Paul says in, in Ephesians, we're not just dealing with flesh and blood, but against principalities and, and powers and spiritual wickedness. And look, often these times of feeling this way comes after a great victory, comes after great success. And we see that in David's life as he would experience a victory, but then here he is finding himself being hunted. We see this as well in the life of Elijah, don't we? First Kings, Elijah goes against the prophets of Baal. There's hundreds of them, and there is only Elijah and his God. And all the excitement was on the side of Baal, and all of the, the potential triumph of victory was on their side. It was himself against hundreds. And you know the story. God shows himself strong. The sacrifices burn up. And, and what does Elijah do? He immediately goes on an on a evangelistic campaign, shouting how great God is and, and teaching new worship songs. No, that, that's not at all what Elijah does. He just experiences this massive victory and listen to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and he sat down under a juniper tree. Now, remind me, he just this massive victory. And he requested for himself that he might die. He was so depressed that he wanted his life to be over. And he said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper, juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time. And he touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and he did eat and drink and went in, in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights into Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel hath forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And and don't you know that in these situations that our mind exaggerates things? He wasn't alone. He wasn't the only one left. But that is how he felt. And aren't you thankful for the grace and mercy of God that even when we find ourselves in these places that God still comes and ministers to us? That he comes and he he understands our frame. He knows where we are and he reminds us that he still provides for us and he still cares for us and he still loves us and he still strengthens us. We've all found ourselves in this problematic condition, but secondly, I want you to see the prayerful cry, and this ought to be the response of all of us. In verses 3 and 4, David calls out to God, and listen, calling out to God is always the best step in the right direction, the first step in the right direction. 
Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Remember David said in Psalm 32 in verse 3, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Look, bottling all, all this up inside and never talking about it and never praying about it, that has never helped anyone. Go to the Lord in prayer. Find a secret place. Find a quiet place. Because often... God uses problematic conditions to redirect us back to him. You remember the Old Testament story of Hannah who was barren, who could not have children, and it was the dark clouds of her barrenness that caused her to cry as she did to the Lord. There was there a a cry for consideration. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. There was a cry for illumination. He says, lighten mine eyes. David was was asking God really to to turn the lights on in this situation, to give him understanding. In Hannah's story, it says that she came year after year asking God really to turn the lights on, to show her. How many times have we asked God, God, would would you turn the light on in this situation? Would you give me understanding? Would you allow me to see what you are doing? This is the real test. This is the real test. You say, if God would just do something miraculous, if God would just turn the lights on, if God would just change this problematic condition that I am in, then the whole world could see what a great God he is. And God sometimes does that, as we saw this morning in the life of of Zach and Tony, where he just, he answered that prayer. He did a miracle. But sometimes he says this, I'm going to allow them to see me, not by changing your situation, but by seeing your faith and your trust and your confidence in me through the situation. I'm going to allow your faith in me and your faithfulness to me, even through this situation, be the thing that is the example You know, as we grow older in our faith, we shouldn't always have to have the light turned on because our faith is growing, our trust is growing. It's like with our children and our grandchildren, you know, as they're they're small, they always like to sleep with a a little nightlight on, but hopefully, Blaine, you still don't have to have your nightlight on. They don't allow them at Word of Life, so I have to get rid of Yeah, no, as they grow, as they get older, we expect them to be able to, to sleep with the lights off. Why? Because they're developing more faith. They're developing more trust. And the same is true with you and I, church family. The, the more we grow, the closer we get to God in prayer and communion with him, There ought to be times where we don't have to see it all. We just say, God, we can't see it, but we trust you in the dark. We know you're there. You've promised never to leave us or forsake us. Or as the songwriter wrote, when darkness veils his lovely face. You know the rest of it? I rest in his unchanging grace. You do because it's on the screen. James says this in James 1 verse 17, we rest not in the fact that, that we can see it all, but we rest in God who he says is the father of lights. 
whom is no bearableness, neither shadow of turning. You see, God is still God with the lights on or with the lights off. He is still God. He is still there. So what is the bridge that gets us from verse 2 to verse 5? It's prayer. What brings us from the problematic condition to the chorus of praise? The answer is prayer. Consider me. And the consolation that David discovers is life-changing. And we'll close with verses 5 and 6, the praiseful chorus. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. What begins as a solemn cry for help turns into this praise song. And what makes this psalm so compelling is that it gives no indication of anything having changed in the psalmist's conditions or his circumstances, nothing changed except David's perspective. Nothing changed as far as we can tell, except through prayer, he was reminded of the character of his God, that God is faithful, that God is there. And so David, we see here his choice to trust God. Things change when David begins to rehearse the character of God in his heart and in his mind. Notice what he says, but I have trusted in thy mercy. He found reason to trust rather than to doubt. What changed? He remembered that God's love for him would never fail, that God's love for him was steadfast. David is reminded that the love of God, that his love is steadfast, that his mercy never ends. And he chooses to rise above how he feels and what is going on around him long enough for him to focus and to get his eyes off of his problem and get his eyes back on who his God is, who his Father is, his care for him, that this life is temporary, that eternity is what we should be looking for. David chooses to rise above. And look, this is where we, we, have, we need this spiritual discipline in our life to bring our emotions underneath the jurisdiction of God's character and God's purposes. They're real. These feelings are real. But now he's applying his mind to the matter. He is, as Paul says, transformed by the renewing of your mind. I say this all the time in our teaching Satan is out to steal, to kill and destroy relationships in our life, effectiveness in our life. But the way that he does it in the battlefield in which he does it is in our minds and our hearts. Which is why Paul said, speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why he said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Speak truth to yourself. David's choice to trust and then David's choice to rejoice. Did you know that rejoicing is a choice? You and I, every day we get up and regardless of our circumstances, we went through this through the book of Philippians when we were going through that, but joy is something that is supernaturally produced in us by the Holy Spirit. It's not just a natural human feeling that we have. It's something that God gives us through his Holy Spirit and we make the choice to rejoice, which is why Paul says, in everything, give thanks. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 
Isaiah said in Isaiah 61.3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Look, that ought to be our prayer this evening, that if we find ourselves in this place, that we will be able to, uh, to exchange joy for mourning. Garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And then we see his, his choice to sing. Verse 6, I will sing unto the Lord. I will sing unto the Lord. Say that with me. I will sing unto the Lord. I will rejoice. I, I will trust him. This is a, a personal decision that I am making. My circumstances haven't changed. The, the problem is still there. But I will rejoice and I will sing and I will rehearse the goodness of God. I'm going to trust in your steadfast mercy and your love. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. The book of Psalm is it's a hymn book. And it often asks questions like we see in this chapter and it gives the answers to those questions. And they used to sing these songs. They would ask a question and they would give an answer to it. And there is a song that has been written in recent years and our choir sings it and it's written the same, the same way. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? He is. He is. 